wonder if I can invite you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are moving to the end of the study of this book, and then we're going to next two weeks, Lane and I are going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. So this week we segue using the word humility to go from 1 Peter chapter 5 next week to Matthew chapter 5. So I'm going to read, I'd like to do two things. First, I'd like to read chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. And then I'd like to uh, go through a number of passages just to review where we've been and are looking at being flourishing exiles. So chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Please hear these words from the Lord. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because... God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. So be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, could you turn to chapter 1, and the next slide, please, Jim. I'm going to go through a number of passages that kind of were highlighted over these past 10 weeks or so. So in chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, we're going to see the idea of hope and then the word trial. So chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's hope and now trial. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the genuine provenness of your faith. Look at that phrase, verse 7. These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So could you look up for a second, please? So what I tried to emphasize in those weeks when the series began was the word hope is used in chapter 1, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 1, verse 21. And the idea of hope carries this future orientation that one day when Christ comes, all will be made right. So in the midst of the trials, chapter 1, second part of the chapter, in the midst of trials, which are here to create a worthy, beautiful, costly faith. And I received that first week in the series a whole bunch of emails around this kind of idea, a paraphrased idea. We never thought or understood that the purpose of trials was to develop a genuine, deep, lasting faith. And so a number of people said to me, it finally dawned on me that I'm not just suffering because of a willy-nilly circumstance or a, an absent God. 
So enough, we started with, there is a God who invites us into this deep relationship and offers us hope, but at the same time, we live with trials. Now, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. For two weeks, he talked about holiness. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope, there's that hope again, on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I received all kinds of responses on this one because we had a, our, our tribe, the Reformed tribe, has a sense of holiness being rules and regulations. And what I tried to do was blow that up. I tried to say, no, if we look at Leviticus chapter 19 and then Acts chapter 11, and now we look at 1 Peter, holiness fundamentally is about agapao, to love. Love God, love people. So we tried to make that whole connecting point, and we hear in the passage, be holy, be loving as God is loving. Now, let me stop for a second, because I'm going to segue ahead, because I'm going to talk about humility in about seven, eight minutes. Be holy, be loving as I am holy. Now, this is one, twice this week, no, this came to me. Two different people who work in um, places in our community, one of a member, one is not, said, can I come and talk to you about people from third, who attend worship in third church and how they are in the workplace? I said, sure. So... This is kind of my downer part of the teaching this morning. And the person says, one from our church, one who just worshiped, visited. I work with people who worship at third. And at our jobs, these people, and they both use the word idiots. They're idiots. I said, what do you mean? Negative, critical, slandering, judgmental, misusing their time with technology, messing around with text, and we just this whole litany of things. And the passage says what? Be holy as God is holy. So one of the phrases that's used throughout 1 Peter is, be the kinds of people who look like Jesus in what you do. When you go to the elevator to bring your corn, in the classroom, on the playing field, in the factory, in the office, at the hospital, we are to imitate Christ in all we do. And here's the push. Why is it so important? We're going to read it in just a moment. Because, we, listen now, you know this, we are the Bible that most non-Christians read. I've had two consecutive weeks when people who are not believers have come to see me that said, if this is what it means to be a Christian, looking at these people who worship at third church, and this is how they're at work, I want nothing to do with it. So one of the big pushes I've been saying to you is in post-Christendom, post-Christendom, it's not enough just to go to church on Sunday, do the one-hour deal, put 10 bucks in the offering plate, and say, I'm a follower of Christ. In post-Christendom, we are now on the margins we need to be people who are living in a life, listen now, connected deeply with Jesus. It's his life being lived through us. I'm going to segue now. I'm going to take that. I'm going to go to pride. Listen to these, listen to these about humility and pride. I'll come back. Pride, the loss of humility, is the root of every sin and evil. In heaven and on earth, pride or self-exaltation is the gateway to hell. 
Second quote, this is from Dallas Willard. The truth is, pride must die in us or heaven cannot live in us. How about this one? It is easy to think ourselves humble before God, but our humility toward others is the only sufficient proof that we are humble before God. So in chapter 1, 13 through 15, be holy in all that you do. Be loving in all you do. It's going to require a relationship with Christ. This We're going to go segueing this week to next. Listen to this now. We don't, you don't say, I want to be humble. I'm going to choose to be humble. Okay, God, help me be humble today. Hey, Janet. <laughs> She's counting. She's one of our deacons. Counting money. Keep counting. <laughs> Listen to this now. The idea is not to act a certain way. It is to have the life of Christ so in you that you just live a life of humility. You don't work it up. It is being so connected with Jesus that we are holy, we are loving, and it is seen in our humility. I'm going to go into humility in a few minutes, but I just want to keep I'm planting seeds to where we're going. We live lives of holiness because it represents our God. And the holiness, as he defines himself, is he is one who loves. For God so loved the world that he gave. So we are called to live like that. Chapter 2, verse 12. This was like six weeks or so ago. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Look at the next phrase. Live such good lives, holy, trial-producing strength among the patients, pagans, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may, what's the next phrase? Read that with me out loud. They can do what? See your good deeds, and then what? Glorify God in the day visit us. So that phrase, glorify God, is idea of, this, is, this just blows my mind. Let me translate this for you. Paraphrasing. Live such good lives, such Christ-honoring lives, that people are so impacted that they want to give their lives to Christ. Because what they've seen in you and me. That's, what, that's a translation of that. They glorify God on the day he returns. Why? Because now they're in Christ. When he returns, they stand before him like we do, who have been washed in the blood of Christ. And we are said on judgment day, why do you, Jesus saying to us, why do I let you into my eternal kingdom? And we say, because you died for us and you covered me with your blood. We don't get judged for our sins. Where sins are washed away. So we live lives in such a way that people see us, they are drawn to Jesus. And flipping it, if we are idiots, they are repulsed from Jesus. So how we live, how we conduct ourselves is so critical. Chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, be, look, at the, look at the verbs here. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate. Look at that word, humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because this to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. What are we supposed to do? We live lives in such a way that we reflect the goodness of the kingdom of God. May push. We cannot in a post 
Christendom world. You cannot play Christian. It will not work. When we play Christian, it's so easy to, be, to just throw the phrases out, to, to just, just throw trite little things, to be quite critical of those who don't do it the right way. And, and our, our, it is not winsome at all. People, the world wants to see Jesus living from us. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying try harder. No, don't try any harder. Be connected with Jesus. When Lane did her master's a couple years ago, one of the things that, that came to her in her classwork was this simple sentence. The single most important thing we can do to be formed in Christ, the single most important thing is to memorize words from Scripture. Whether you do it through song, through visual, through oral, whatever, why is it so critical? Because the words that are embedded become the words that form our lives. Lane has a sentence that she's used with our children she said, did it when they were young, and she still, they say it back to her now. Our mother's voice is in our heads. Is Jesus' voice in your head? See, when his words are part of it, then as his words become shapers, the Holy Spirit uses those things. What begins to happen? So at the workplace, when someone's an idiot at work to you, when someone's a jerk in the team, when someone's terrible at the market, all of a sudden we don't just react. We have Christ in us and Christ living through us. I, the story I told some weeks ago that I, I didn't fully tell, it was a pro-life conversation in Los Angeles. And in, in that story, if you remember the story, the people from our church, there were three, went to an abortion clinic and very respectfully stood across the street and just prayed. A whole group of people gathered around them who were opposed and were very angry. And one of them stood across from one of the three, who happened to be my brother, and screamed, screamed F-bombed him to death, and then spat multiple times, <laughs> right in his face. My brother's about, about as tall as me, not quite as tall. He just got spat in his face, spat in his face, and F-bombed, 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 F-bombed. The police came, got the people from our church out of there, and the, the things went on as, as normal, downtown Los Angeles. What was interesting to me is some years later, one of the people who did the most spitting in my brother's face, he led to Christ. And now she, she is part of a church doing massive kingdom things. Now that, 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 that is representing Jesus. When someone's putting loogies in your face and F-bombing you like crazy and you're surrounded by other people doing the same, now how does that happen? Is my brother a rock star in Jesus? Heavens no but I know he's bearing the life of Christ in his body. And I know he's memorized scripture. And I know he is walking with Jesus. And so when the push comes to shove and shove comes to kick, there is the life of Christ that just emerges from us and allows us to be women and men and boys and girls who look like Jesus. And our, listen now, our, according to 1 Peter, our conduct helps people see Jesus. In chapter 4, verse 19, that last week, the suffering persecuted church. So then those who suffer according to God's will, 
should commit themselves to their faithful Savior, their faithful Creator, and continue to do good. And that was just following the persecuted church from last week. Now, chapter 5, verse 5. Let me read it again. I'm going to focus just on humility now. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So what is needed to submit? Humility. All of you, you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, let me think of that phrase, under God's mighty hand. Now, remember last week I talked about judgment from chapter 4 earlier? Judgment comes first to the house of God. And remember I said to you what, what scholars generally affirm, and I can make sense, total sense to me, that judgment beginning in the house of God is to separate the people who are playing church from the people who are actually committed to Christ. So that phrase, the, under the mighty hand of God, is the idea of God is cleaning house. What is he longing to see? A humble people. What's the next phrase? Cast all your cares on him. How, now, watch now. To take humility, to acknowledge how needy we are, and to cast our cares and not take them back, but to keep casting, casting. And then he goes to the devil next. Be alert, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Resist him, stand in the faith. What is required to do that? It's, it's a humility that says, I cannot do this apart from Christ. Now, I'd like to segue a little bit now, and I'm going to talk specifically about humility. A couple of quotes, these are from Andrew Murray and from um, Dallas Willard. And so pride, the loss of humility, is the root of every sin and evil. Would you think about that? Is your pride, is my pride, is it at the root whenever you sin? All of us look at ourselves. In heaven and on earth, pride or, pride or self-exaltation is the very gateway to hell. How did Satan fall? Because of his pride. How about this one? External, listen to this now. External teaching and personal effort are powerless to conquer pride or create the meek and lowly heart in a person. It is only by the indwelling of Christ in divine humility that we can become truly humble. Now watch this. Jesus is on the cross in the gospel accounts. And what does the text say? He could call down legions of angels. Meekness does not mean weakness. Jesus was the meekest most humble man who ever lived. He had the resources to call down these angels and to destroy everyone. One angel in the book of First Kings, listen to this, one angel in First Kings killed 168,000 Assyrian soldiers. One angel. Jesus could have called down thousands of angels. Meekness is not weakness. Humility is the ground in which the kingdom grows. 
Humility is the soil from which love blossoms. So now I'm going to talk about humility and get personal. May I have slide uh, number six? We're going to have a PA meeting. If you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and you participate, how do you begin? Hello, my name is Kevin, and I'm an alcoholic. We're going to have a PA meeting. Hello, my name is Kevin, and I'm proud. Let me talk about my pride with you. And I'm going to celebrate someone who's doing really great. And then I'm going to create space for us to talk about your own pride. Our staff is doing something together with the Enneagram. Enneagram is a spiritual practice that helps us look at our own personalities and then it helps us be in relationship with others. My number's a three. I self-assess as a three. And when a three is healthy and walking with the Lord, a three is a good gift. But when a three is impacted by pride, it's not pretty. So my name is Kevin, and I'm proud. So threes are described in these words. They are imposters. Threes are deceitful. Threes are driven by fear. Let me tell you about myself. I'm an imposter. For 39, 37 and a half years, in my job, I've been an imposter. I have been trying to be all things to all people without at all acknowledging who I actually am or my brokenness or my broken needs or my hurts. And I have acted in a way as a pastor because of pride because I want you to be impressed with me. Number threes are deceitful. They exaggerate. They don't always tell the truth. They don't tell the truth about themselves. They're not involved with how they actually feel about life and people. Hello, my name is Kevin, and I'm proud. I'm driven by fear. I've told you this many times. My primary sin, my pri it's not lust, it's not anger, it's not... My, pro my primary sin has been I fear you more than I fear God. I am afraid of you more than I reference God. Hello, my name is Kevin, and I'm proud. I want to celebrate someone in our church family who acknowledged some stuff whose life has changed. She's sitting right here. And Heather acknowledged the challenge she's had with substance. And she's sober for one year. And I'm glad I'm a friend of Heather. Are you glad you're a friend with Heather? Thank you, honey. I'm proud of you. Good proud. Good proud. So how, how much guts do we have in this room today? Do we dare just say, 
Hello, my name is, and I'm proud, and share why. I'm proud. I'm a deceiver. I'm an imposter, and I'm fearful. Any other people want to join the PA meeting? While you're thinking about it, let me tell you a story. 1980, I had a conversation with Dr. Daniel Fuller, whose dad started Fuller Seminary. He said, you want to change the life of your church? I said, yeah. He said, once a year, have everyone come to church with no clothes. <laughs> There'd be a lot of humility. See, this, this is scary now, right? We, we, we come to church and we can sing Waymaker and we can sing all kinds of great songs. But at core, if we are proud, we're resisting what Christ wants to give us. It's in humility and brokenness. So since Kirk has died, you can ask me anything you want. And I don't care what you think. Because I'm thinking about different stuff now. I'm thinking about the hope to come. When people ask me who I am, I'm a broken, tired, sad, hopeful, expectant Christian. Hello, my name is Kevin. I'm proud. You want to join me? Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Pride relates to judging, judging others, judging self. Beautiful. Thank you, honey. Nooper struggles with pride, too. Let me, let me be gentle, but push. When the day comes that we publicly can acknowledge our brokenness, our pain, and our sin, the kingdom of God will come like a rushing wind. So no pressure, no push, just an invitation. Can we just take a minute then? If, if it's this a little, it's a big ask. Can we take um, two minutes? If you're comfortable with the person around you or in your neighborhood, could you share where you're proud and how the Lord might be working in you, wanting to change you? If you don't want to do it, don't need to do it. Just act like you're praying. On your marks, get set, go. Two minutes.
Thank you for taking the risk, for talking to step in. Jim, can I have slide seven, please? It's difficult to, um, to do this publicly, I know. But I wonder if there's something that would be helpful just to, to take a step into humility. So a couple possible action steps. We're going to sing, I surrender all, and then arms open wide. Maybe as an act of humility, take off his shoes and just stand before the Lord with shoes off. Or, if you'd like, what about kneeling? A posture of humility. If you'd like to come up to the steps and kneel there, you certainly can. And elders will be available to serve communion. But if, there's, if, there, if it would help you to, to, to engage with humility by some positive human step, perhaps here are a few options. Would you pray with me, please? And then we'll, we'll respond. We thank you, Lord, that you have lived a life of humility and did so with such love and with such courage and with such strength. And we are drawn to you because of that amazing, <laughs> humble love. And so we're praying that as we engage a world that is rapidly changing, that we be marked by the same humility that you showed, courage and strength and faith, and yet presented in such beautiful and kind and good ways. So we pray your kingdom would come and your will would be done as we surrender all. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.